Well, guys, we are in week number two of this little mini-series, Love and Hate. And last week, Harley talked about what God loves. And, and this week, we're going to talk about some things that God hates. So, oh, yes! Yeah, that's so exciting, right? That you've been excited about that. Um, right. You know, we, we become very passionate about some things. Um, we, are, we love some things, and we hate some things. Um, so I just want to take a little uh, real official survey right quick by raising okay. your hand. So we'll participate. Yeah. Um, so do, do you, who in here this morning loves reality TV? If you love any kind of reality TV show, raise your hand. Come on, raise it high. Don't be. It's okay. We got some lovers out there. We got some lovers. <laughs> okay. If you absolutely hate reality TV, raise your hand. I mean, you I used to. Despise I, it. Yeah, I used uh, to. That's okay. That's okay. Um, okay, this is another one that, that you're either, you either love or hate it. If you absolutely love Apple products, you just love your iPhone, and you, you know, or you love your iPad, or, yeah. If you're over 50, they think you're talking about Red Delicious. <laughs> so I don't even know if that is. It's Hon- an actual Apple. Honestly. Okay. Okay. No, not the fruit. Um, uh, okay. So... It, this last one, don't be ashamed. It's, it's completely okay. You're among friends. Um, if you love skinny jeans, raise yeah. your hand. <laughs> I love skinny jeans. <laughs> if you absolutely hate skinny jeans, raise. If you don't know what skinny jeans are, raise your hand because you probably will hate them. And that's okay. I mean, if you lo- if if I love looking like Humpty Dumpty, I <laughs> love skinny jeans. <laughs> you know, but we. Regardless if you're a follower of Christ or not, um, you are probably curious about what God hates. Um, and, and let me just start out by saying this. Not everything that Christians hate does God necessarily hate. Because there, there are, there's a, a form or maybe a sect of Christianity that, that can be very hateful and can just be very ugly just to be um, plain blunt about it. So... Um, so what, what exactly does God hate? He actually gives us a list of some things that, that he hates in Proverbs. So we're going to start out there this morning. Proverbs chapter 6. The verses will be on the screen. There it is. Uh, starting in verse 16, it says, There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes. And that, that simply means to, you know, kind of elevate yourself above someone and look down upon them for whatever reason. Now, that's what it's talking about there, just haughty eyes. Uh, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a, f- a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in a community. Um, you, you notice when we, when we talk about things that, that God hates, you know, we kind of naturally just kind of set up a little bit stranger. <laughs> Um, everybody just wants to kind of be on their best behavior because we don't we don't want to be on that list, right? Uh, I think that's just a natural response, and we don't want to be on that list because we don't want to put distance between us and God. Um, it makes us feel further away. Obviously, knowing that if we're doing something or we're participating in something that God says He hates, um, did, have you ever felt? In your own personal life, like you were distant from God. I think if we're on, if we're completely honest, at some point in our life, we've all had those moments or maybe seasons where we felt distant from God. Um, many people would say it's because you know a situation maybe you're going through, 
maybe the loss of a loved one or uh, an addiction or a habit that, that you can't overcome. Or, or maybe for you, you just feel like everything is just blowing up in your life and nothing's going your way. And you look around you and it seems like everyone else that you know that is trying to follow Christ is, is connecting with God on this real personal level and you just can't get there. And it makes you feel further away from Christ. Um, and so we want to know, Harley, we want to know the things that God hates because we don't want to feel that distance between Christ. So talk a little bit about, you know, that, that distance, how, that happens. how that happens. Okay. We're going to look at the book of Romans, uh, chapter 8, and we're going to spend most of our morning in Romans. We're going to add a couple things to that. But listen to what it says in verse 5. Let's see if we can get an idea of how this happens. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature, that means that their life seems to be just driven towards always doing the wrong thing at the wrong time. And it says those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. And there's our first clue. Because when our lives, and we all, whether you're in that spot today or not, we have all visited this place where we have thought about and we dwell on in our mind things that are sinful, that are away from God, because this is where it starts. So when we start thinking about it, it says it's going to dominate what we think about, and then the direct result is it will dominate our lives. So what we think about and what we dwell on, if it is sinful, if it is not God's plan for you, and you're dwelling on it here, eventually it's going to dominate and come out of your life. That's how it works. What dominates our thoughts dominates our lives. And here's what happens as a result. Then what dominates our lives pushes God to the edges. Pushes God. It leaves room for little else. It just kind of pushes God to the edge of your life. That's the result. But then he goes on to say, but listen, the opposite is also true. He says, but those who are controlled by, those who are dwelling on, thinking on, living with here in their mind, the Holy Spirit, they think about things that please the Spirit. So it's the opposite of that is also true. If God is dominating in your mind, he's leading then your life. If, if the time in your mind spent with your thoughts is dominated by God and thoughts of him and pursuing him and loving him and following him, then that is going to dominate your life. And that, right there, I'm getting bitten by a mosquito. Ow, that one hurt. Right on my cankle. Man. Let me get back to where I was. I'm sorry. I was being dominated on the by ankle the by the mosquito. <laughs> Very little things can dominate it. You know what I'm saying? Uh, what dominates your thoughts comes out of your life, and that, if it is God, if you're, if you're thinking those thoughts, being led by following God right here, it's going to come out of your life, and you're going to really sense God's presence in your life. You're going to feel close to God. 
So he goes back again. Now, verse 6. So, he says, letting your sinful nature control your minds and other thinking about dwelling on these things that, that, that are sinful, that God doesn't want to be a part of your life, but dwelling on it is going to lead, it says, to death. It's going to lead you to pursue that. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. And in that peace really is this sense God is with me. I sense God's presence. I feel God's presence. And that gives me peace. Right. And I believe one thing that, that God hates is that loneliness that we feel when we are distant from God. Um, and verse 7, as we continue through this passage, it says, For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's law, and it never will. When we are giving in to sin, it distances us from God. But because the part of our nature, uh, that, that sinful nature, is hostile, it actually is at war with God. Um, not that we are at war with God, or God is at war with us, but that part of our nature, that sinful nature. And it creates this, this feeling of distance from God. Verse 8, uh, sorry. That's why those who are still under the, the control of their sinful nature can never please God. If, if a Christian, if a Christ follower continues long enough in sin, in that sin, they become complacent. complacent, And they get comfortable with it. It just becomes the way things are. Uh, and eventually make excuses, we'll make excuses, and we become home in that sin. That becomes our natural place that we like to stay. And that complacency take, it puts distance between us and God. And we, we can even become kind of this Christian atheist, uh, believing that there, there is a God, but living our life as though he doesn't really exist. And, and instead of hating that sin in ourselves. We, we befriend it, and we give it soft, non-threatening phrases like this. Now, I really messed up last night. Um, I'm really struggling. Um, I'm having a hard time getting into the Word. Prayer hasn't really been consistent in my life. You know, it's just, just flirting. It's... Not, it's not a big deal. It's nothing. Um, it's, it's only a vice. It's the only one I have, and it's not a big deal. I can stop any time I want. It's, it's just a picture. It's just a video. It's not going to hurt anyone. Uh, and, and instead of you know sugarcoating or softening, wow. We just need to be honest with ourselves about what it really is. Honest and say, you know, I, if that's a problem in your life, say, I can't stop looking at porn. I don't trust God's going to provide for me. Or, or you know, right now in my life, other things are more important than God. Prayer, it really doesn't have much value to me. You know, 
I've tried to stop this behavior, but it's got some kind of crazy control over me, and I can't stop it. Don't befriend your sin. Draw, don't draw close to it. Don't minimize it. Just call it for what it is. It's garbage in our life. Because when God purchased you on the cross, and if you're a follower of Christ, when you surrendered to him, he drew you near. So near to himself that he calls you child. Child. In verse 14 right here of this same passage, listen to what it says. It says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you have received God's Spirit when He adopted you as His own child. Now now we call Him Abba, Father. And this is an Arabic word here, and it would be translated for us today as Daddy. You know, my... My favorite title is Daddy. When, when I come home from work and I come in the door and I hear these little footsteps running at me, hollering, Daddy. Verse 16 says, For his spirit joins us, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. You know, we're, we're in the process of adopting a little girl um, that we've had for two years. And it's just amazing that we can't even, and Brooke and I can't even distinguish the love that we have for her between the, the love that we have for our biological kids. Like there is absolutely no difference. And although she doesn't share our DNA, um, she doesn't she doesn't look a lot like Brooke or I. Um, and she's beautiful, but she doesn't. Um, we like there's no difference between the love that we have for the kids that that share our DNA and for her. And she will. Be an heir. I mean, we don't have a lot, but but in a legal term, once we adopt her, she will legally be entitled to everything else that our other kids. She'll have your have. name. She'll have her name. She will have ownership in the family. Right. Very cool. In verse 17, listen to what God says about us as his children. And since we are his children... We are his heirs. That is an amazing phrase. That he has chosen you and he's chosen me. He wants everybody. But those who choose to come to him, anyone who chooses to come to him through Jesus Christ, because of what Christ did on the cross, he then calls you his child, calls me his child, calls me beyond that, beyond child, he calls us heirs, which means Jesus 
God's Son, the Son of God, is the heir of heaven. And now, if you have come to God through Jesus Christ because of what He did on the cross for you, and as Donnie said, you give Him, you submit, you give Him your life, you submit to Him, God now calls you a co-heir with Christ. He's not calling you God. He's saying, I have adopted you. And as Donnie said, his love for you cannot be distinguished from his love for Jesus. Indistinguishable. Hopefully we have no English teachers here. (laughs) Can't tell a difference. (laughs) Not a lick. And you have become an heir. An heir. Christ makes you, because of what Christ did, he makes you close to God. Because God has now adopted you into his family. But you know what? We still, so often, we go through seasons, we go through days, we go through moments where we still feel distant from God. And I think this morning, if we could just maybe understand a little bit of this, perhaps... Perhaps we feel this distance when we don't live up to our name. You have a new name. You are a child of God, an heir. And when we don't live as God's blessed children, we are willingly becoming a slave to sin and stick. Instead of living this life that that is this blessed child of God. And then we emotionally distance ourselves from God because it's a choice that we make that pushes God to the edges. And that is not God's plan for you. That is not his design of a relationship with you. His plan is for you to pursue him, for you to walk with him, for you to talk with him. To live with him closely. That's his plan. So Paul then writes this. If we're living with, walking with, talking with God, he says this in verse 33. Who dares accuse us? Whom God has chosen for his own. He said, who can? And he answers that. He says, no one. For God himself has given you a right standing with himself. This tells me this. This whole closeness to God thing. I have a choice. We can live up to our new family name. Now this isn't saying you're going to be haughty like we talked about at the beginning. Like you're going to be looking down upon others. No, because we understand this. When we understand what God has done for us, we understand, yes, we fall. And yes, just like the person beside us and around us, we fail. But, yes, we are forgiven. When Christ died on the cross for you and me, and we choose to submit our lives to him, God then declares you and me to be in a right standing with God. But him declaring that we're in a right standing with God does not make us feel close to God. But God desires 
for you to sense his presence every single day as you walk with him and as you talk with him. Listen to verse 34, what he says here, Paul, saying this. Who then, if you're walking with, talking with God, who then will condemn us? And he answers it. He says, no one. For Christ died for us, and he was raised to life for us, and he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, and look what he's doing, pleading for us. What an amazing picture of this truth that Jesus is right now at God's right hand pleading for you. And what does he plead? I I don't know everything that he's pleading. But I know at least one thing. John tells us about it. John chapter 17 verse 24. Listen to what he says. Jesus praying this to God the Father. Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, you submitted your life to him, it means you are a child of God, a brother, a sister to Jesus, a co-heir, because you've been adopted into God's family. What is your brother praying for you? He says, Father, I want these whom you have given me, please, what does he say? To be with me where I am. God desires you to be close to him. Jesus, praying for you, praying for me, interceding, sitting beside God and pleading. He wants to be close to you. And what happens to this? Paul asks this question in verse 35. Can anything, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? That love that drove him to the cross? Does it mean, does it mean that he no longer loves us if we have trouble? In other words, when you have problems in your life, and you will, every Sunday, every weekday, I talk to friends who have troubles and struggles. I have had troubles and struggles and problems and conflict and hurt and pain. You have too. And Paul is saying, does that mean that God has left us? That He has pushed Himself to the edge of our life? That he, that, he, that something's wrong? That He's punishing us? If I'm having troubles... Does it mean that He no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity? Or or if we're persecuted? And look at this next phrase. He's talking about something now physical. If we go hungry. If I can't meet my obligations. If I am having trouble. If I'm struggling. If I'm hungry. Paul is not saying that this probably won't happen to you, but I'm going to throw these things out anyway. No, he says, does this mean when this happens, when I'm hungry, or I'm destitute, or I'm in danger, or I'm threatened even to death? Paul is saying this as if it is happening right now. And listen to me. It is. Every single week, we have people who walk into this movie theater and sit down with us 
Stuttgart Harvest Church who can claim any one of these doesn't mean that God has distanced himself from you. And then he answers the question. Listen to what he says in verse 37. He says, no, despite all of these things. In other other words, he's saying, even though these things will happen, no. Overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I just need to comment. I didn't say this an hour ago. But this means that we probably need to redefine victory and use God's definition. Because victory may not mean that we have peace. It may not mean that we have an easy life. Victory may not mean that we have everything we want. But God says in spite of all of these things, we have victory through Christ. There must be a bigger picture to victory than maybe what we have imagined. We know this. God does not want you to feel separated from Him. He died for you. His love drove Him to the cross. And when you submit to Him, you become God's child forever. And He adopts you. And He never unadopts you. He has you forever. And now... We have the opportunity to live a life of pursuing our Father and living up to this new family name. You have a new family. You have a new family name if you've submitted yourself to Christ. And that family name is this. God looks at you and calls you child. And you know. You know what happens? If we do what God is asking us to do and live a life that is pursuing Him, very much like that love of God that has pursued you. You see, God, uh, this, this term love is not a noun. It's not something you can grab hold of. Love, love is something you do. It's not something you can really have. It's not something you can hold. It is only something you can do. You can give. And if we are going to live up to our new family name, it means we're going to love the way Jesus loved. And Jesus showed us it was a love that It's not something he talked about. 
It's not something he said, this is a good thing. Love was something he did and it drove him to the cross. And now he looks at you and he looks at me and he says, love, you're going to pursue me. You're going to live up to this new family name. Love isn't something you talk about. Love isn't something you grab hold of. He says this. Love does. Because love did. And if you're going to be, and if I'm going to be a child of God, part of His family, then I'm going to love like my brother loved. I'm going to give. It's not something I'm going to hold for myself. It's not something that says I'm going to go to the cross and I'm going to ask Jesus to meet this. To do this. And Jesus, I really want this. Could you make this happen in my life? It would be a lot easier if you took care of this. I'm having trouble with that. No. I mean, he says bring everything to him. But you know what happens? When you're really following Jesus, you go to the cross and you see what he did. And then you look at your life and you see what he's doing. And you get up off of your knees. And he sends you out to love. Because love does. If you have submitted your life to Christ, we can continue to think about ourselves. And we're going to live a life for ourselves. We can continue to think about what we want to do. And you're going to live a selfish life of living what you want to do. And all of those things are going to push God to the edges. He's not walking away from me. I'm pushing him away from me. Here to here. But if we instead begin to think, think about God and about what He has done for me, what He did, and what He is now doing in and through me. And guess what comes out? Love. It's not something you can pick up. It's something you do. And you will know that God is near. You will know. Yes, we will still have seasons when we struggle. But over the course of your life, largely, if you do this, you will know that God is near. If every day you're talking with God. If every day you're walking with God, why will you know it? You'll know it because you just finished talking to Him and He was near. Paul goes on. 
He says this, And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, not our fears about today, nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed. A love that does. A love that did. It is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Nothing. Nothing. Nothing can separate you from that love, but listen to what can happen. You can continue to do life the way you want to do it. And it all happens here, starts right here, and then it comes out of your life. And you can lose that sense of God being near. Or you can choose to walk with Him and to talk with Him to live with Him every single day. And you will sense His presence. You will feel Him near. And it's not going to be because you asked Him to do this for you and He did it. It's going to be because you begin to love like your brother loves. You begin to love like Jesus loved. His love did, and now it's doing in your life. And you will begin to do the same thing. A love that does. And let me tell you why that's so important. Because of all the churches I have been a part of in my 27 years of ministry, Stuttgart Harvest Church has the most potential to radically change lives because of what Christ is doing in you and your willingness to say, I will pursue you, Father, not so that I can get you to do what I need you to do, but I will pursue you. I will begin to love the way you love. A love that pursues. A love that penetrates the walls that culture puts up. And I will love people right where they are, just as they are in that moment. I won't expect them to change for me to love them. I love them anyway. And Jesus, we will allow you to do what only you can do, and that is for you to change lives. You've called me to love. To walk people to the cross where their life can be changed forever. Stuttgart Harvest Church, you are that church.
And it is time. You are ready. It is happening. For you to unleash the beast of love. And radically impact the people around you. God does not want you to distance yourself from God. This morning we're just simply going to pray a prayer. A prayer of commitment. This is our next step and we hope you'll take it with us. Here's our bottom line today. You know God is beside you. You know He is beside you. If you keep walking and talking with Him, and then He's going to just pour out of your life in the form of love to the people around you. And you have the opportunity to walk them to the cross where their lives will never be the same. Would you join me in a prayer of commitment? God, you told us that nothing can separate us from your love. That is a fact. But God, so often we don't feel your presence or sense your presence because we have been living life on our terms, on our, our own way, our own agenda, our own ideas, our own desires, our own passions. And we have pushed you to the outskirts of our lives as we have pursued ourselves. But God, for those who have submitted to you through Jesus Christ because of what you did on the cross for us, you have looked at us and given us a new name, a new title, and you have said, you are my child, my heir. And now, God, our Father, may we pursue you with a tenacious love as you have pursued us. A love that is not something we talk about. A love that is not something we imagine or that we can hold. But God, it is a love that does because your love did on the cross. And now your love is doing through our lives, changing us. And may we too have a love that does. Live a life of changed people. God, we know we're still going to struggle. We are still going to have problems and calamity, but that does not mean you have left us. Nothing can separate us from your love. God, in spite of those things that we face, may we continue to walk with you and talk with you every day. May we do that until we sense your presence and then continue to do it so that you have a love now that pours out of us a love that does. We ask these things in the name of Jesus, our Savior, who did on the cross for us what we could not do for ourselves. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. My friends, I am glad to call you family at Stuttgart Harvest Church. And I am so excited to see what God is going to do in your life that is going to radiate 
to the people around you. Because love does.